0: Father, we thank you for your presence with us during this session. We know that we're totally dependent upon your spirit to teach us and to guide us and to particularly encourage us in areas where we need to make application. And Lord, that's what we're after. We want your word to change the way that we live. That's why we're up here. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible presents a picture of life, kind of like a marathon race, with all kinds of different participants, each participant being different, no two alike, different gifts, different abilities, different training for the race, different preparation, and even the length of the race is different for each one of us, isn't it? We don't really know when the finish line is going to pop up in front of us but one thing that we have in common and it was really brought home to me thursday night when bob shared that opening session and that is the goal of the race we all have in common the desire to be finishers and i think that we have in common the desire to 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 finish well and finishing well we all understand does not mean that we don't make mistakes finishing well means that we learn from those mistakes, we get back up, and we keep pursuing the goal that's before us. And as we think about that, think about the fact that as conscientious believers in Christ, we really want to finish well as fathers, as husbands, as friends of one another, as co laborers in the gospel. We want to finish well. We want to be able to stand up at 75 like a Bob Foster with integrity and not that he's perfect, he'd be the first to say he's not. But to be able to have our kids and our grandkids and as Bob just had the privilege three days ago to have his first great grandson, to have them look up to us and respect us. And so that's what we have in common. Everything else in the race we have we're different. Everything about us is different. And because of that we don't compete with one another. It's it's almost like we're in a race by ourselves except for the goal and as men I think one of the most significant obstacles to finishing well is the area of sexual immorality we all struggle with it it's just a question of degree and the frightening thing is that when a person gets to the point where they've fallen in this area to the point that it becomes a public the damage and the hurt is certainly not limited to the individual involved. Those closest to us are hurt the most. But that destruction reaches all the way out, even to people that we might not even know, but that may look up to us in some way. And we've all seen it with people that we know, or that we know of, that uh, are in leadership in Christianity, who have really fallen in this area. And we've been hurt over it and it, it does something to us and so we see that uh, it, it truly can have a devastating effect and we don't get a lot of help from our society do we matter of fact it's become so pervasive in our society that sexual immorality in all kinds of forms is actually being redefined as acceptable human behavior. And what we see and what we get from the media is simply an outward expression of this built-in cultural situation that, that we're dealing with. You can do it, but it's very difficult to find a movie or a TV show that does not in some way encourage or promote the area of sexual immorality. Those of us with children are particularly concerned about, about this area because we know that what we take in our mind affects the way we ultimately end up acting. And so, unlike years in the past, we get little, if any, restraint from our culture, from society. And because we recognize our strong propensity towards sin, particularly in this area, we understand that we need all the help we can get in harnessing this area and keeping it In control and so what we're going to do this morning and and just as the uh, main sessions are informal and encourage interaction more so we want to have that in these sessions so we're here to learn together we're sojourners in this together Chris I'm going to introduce him now and have him just kind of share with you where he's coming from and we're going to kind of go back and forth as we move through four principles that hopefully will give us some tools to help us be finishers for God, and keep this area in control. Chris? Thanks, Gibb. As he said that, we all struggle
1: with sexual immorality to varying degrees. Um, I'm unfortunately the guy that uh, took it to the nth degree and uh, fell into sexual immorality and uh, all the effects that come with it. And uh, <clears throat> part of our uh, presentation today is that I'll share the unfortunate side of when you, when you cross the line and the consequences of it and hopefully give insights to encourage you not even to get close to the line and hopefully avoid it and uh, um, uh, the other thing is is unfortunately a lot of times uh, some of us are at the line or even over the line a little bit in some areas of our life and uh... Um, maybe some of my testimony will help uh, uh, make it a little easier to talk about, make it a little easier to come to the forefront and say well how do I deal with this problem, what can I do and how do I get out of it. Uh, lust or sexual addiction to me, it came. Be, lust became an addiction just like cocaine can become an addiction in people's lives or alcohol can become an addiction in other people's lives. Um, I began to solve my problems, my life anxieties through lust and I made myself feel better through uh, you know, just started out masturbation and then it just kept going from there and we'll get into all that as as we go on. But uh, it wasn't something that happened overnight. It just happens a little by a little, almost like line upon line, preseason. It works in that direction, unfortunately. And uh, over about a 20 year period of um, time, I eventually was to a point where lust just totally dominated my life my everyday life my whole life revolved around what i was going to do today to get my lust hits my lust addiction my lust fulfillment my job and everything else was just filling time until i got my um, what i refer to as my lust hits anyway uh and again trying and figure out how do i get out of this how do i get out of this because i'm a born-again christian during this whole period of time the shame of it is just overwhelming and uh God finally led me to a 12-step program called Sexaholics Anonymous. And I uh, finally got with uh, a bunch of un- other unfortunate guys that had all had the same problem and were banding together to try to get out of the hole. And it was, uh, boy, I tell you, my first meeting there where these other guys gave a little bit of their testimony and I shared mine. And here see guys starting to nod their head and knowing exactly what I was describing and then saying, well, I've been sexually sober for three months, you know, guy I've been sexually sober now for a year and a half, another guy, you know, three years, and I was to have played a, uh, you know, despair that I didn't think he could be sexually sober for a day, and uh, so it encouraged me that there was a way out of the hell hole that I had gone into. And our d- definition of sobriety, in the SA program, is not having sex with myself, even masturbation. Um, And also not sex with anyone other than my wife. And uh, you take it one day at a time, and uh, by God's grace, uh, I just passed my third birthday in January of three years with uh, sexual sobriety. But it's been a rough haul, and I don't advise anyone to uh, uh, go through the process. And hopefully in our discussion today we can help you avoid it.
0: Before we jump into the first principle, anybody want to make any comments or any questions or thoughts or? Okay, we're going to look at, again, we're going to look at uh, four principles that hopefully will serve as a a kind of a a guideline and a catalyst to to uh, helping us keep this area in check. As we said earlier, it's a it's a struggle for all of us. It's just a question of degrees and uh, I think all of us know that what, whatever place we are, whether it's a difficulty in uh, having that look be a little bit too long with a gal or whatever it is, we know that it's only by God's grace that we don't go to the next step, whatever that next step may be. And so these principles hopefully will help us and encourage us in this area. And the first one is that we realize that we're vulnerable. 1st Corinthians ten twelve says let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall and that seems like a real obvious one that we're vulnerable we know we're vulnerable but do we really know we're vulnerable and I think that the the words where it says take heed is an admonition to examine and recognize our vulnerability to we really realize that we cannot treat temptation rec- recklessly and see how far we can go without crossing the line we need to know ourselves we're all wired a little differently we need to know our weaknesses we need to know our hang-ups our private temptations the areas in our particular sphere of influence there that, that may be danger zones for us and for some people it could be uh, an innocent thing of a relationship with a woman that is uh, purely non-physical. But the next thing you know, there's an emotional yoking that takes place. And then the emotional yoking begins to maybe feed some need that we have within us, and maybe it becomes kind of an emotional dependence on her part on us, and that makes us feel good. And these are signs, and these things can progress And progress until it's no longer simply an emotional involvement. It then becomes a physical involvement. One thing is for sure, particularly with those of us who are followers of Christ, and that is that no one steps over that ultimate line in one quantum leap. It just doesn't happen that way. It happens a little bit at a time, and that's the deceptiveness of the whole thing. That's that's how Satan gets us in many areas, right? Well, this isn't doesn't hurt. Little step at a time, and so thinking of a quote, and Jerry White has a, a really good book. Out, it's an old book, but it's called Honesty, Morality, and Conscience. Some of you have probably read it. And one of the a quote from that says, "Overt sexual sin is conceived in the mind, developed in various pre-sexual experiences, and finally becomes a reality when given the right opportunity." And so far short of crossing the line, we need to recognize our vulnerability and take steps to avoid the problem. And I've talked with many, many men who, by the time they realized that that they were really in danger, were so far into the relationship that they were maybe not unable but certainly unwilling To do an about-face and get out of it. And those men, had they a year earlier evaluated where they would be, would have never believed it. And so, those situations begin with us not recognizing that we're a lot more vulnerable than we think we are.
1: Okay. Um, Smoking is not a problem for me. When I see someone else smoke or a commercial with it, smoking uh, doesn't, I don't even give it a second thought, doesn't do a thing for me. Uh, Drinking, drinking doesn't do a thing for me. I could have a beer after a a hot game of basketball or something like that or whatever and see other people drinking on television and it doesn't do a thing for me. But a girl dressed a certain way, walking a certain way, certain attributes about her can send me for a loop and I lose, I lose uh, my consciousness, sort of thing. And uh, so I had a, you know, <clears throat> but I never realized it that what it could eventually evolve into. When everyone has different family situations, but they're brought up. My mind wasn't a good one. I was raised by a stepfather that didn't like me, and you know, the guy was always yelling at me and screaming and what I, you know, I'd never amount to anything and blah 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 blah. So. When I was about ten or twelve, somewhere in that area, an eighth grader I knew, you know, showed me how to masturbate, and um, that made me feel good. And so, after bad days, when I'd go to sleep at night, I'd masturbate, and that would make me feel better when I went to sleep. And um, so that's how, again, you know, as as a twelve year old or something like that, I couldn't be drinking, I couldn't be snorting cocaine, I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't get a hold of any of those other things. I began to medicate my pain, my inward pain, with a drug called lust. And uh, In my lust, I always fantasized, you know, I I didn't do it just to do it, I always, there was a girl at school, there was some pictures I saw, someone had some pornography or or whatever, but it's just, I started dealing with my problems that way. When I was about uh, 20, 21, I got saved uh, when I was in college, and uh, that stuff kind of went away from me for the while. You know, the 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 glow of salvation and all the wonderful things that come with it and that. But after a little bit of while reality started coming back in and um I started feeling the you know, lustful feelings again and stuff like that. So I figured that I was to marry because if you married it would go away. You know, rather than burn. Well, it didn't work that way <laughs> for me anyway. Um I uh, really, you know, prayed about it. I felt God led me to the girl I was supposed to marry. She prayed about it. She felt God told her I was the you know, guy to marry. And we got married, and we really were going to give it all of our best effort. But somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, I opened the door. And I had, a, I permitted a thought or a concept to enter my mind that my wife wasn't quite as, couldn't quite meet my sexual appetite and need the way I thought it needed to be met, or I had known this girl in college, and she was never quite as good as this girl I had known before I had gotten saved. And, and anyway, she became less than my perfect, less than what exactly I wanted. So um, what that did is that opened the door to fantasy. I'd begin to think of someone I would like, or someone I saw at work, at church, uh, at the grocery store in a magazine or whatever and I, I stopped making love with my wife and I started making love with a fantasy a conglomeration of what I thought was perfect for me and what that did is I began to start close off my relationship with my wife to where we could not begin to grow I began to disconnect from her and um, Skip had mentioned how when it finally becomes public you know it's really never limited to the individual well, I'm here to tell you that uh, you start affecting into other individuals even while before it ever becomes public. Um, you start affecting your wife. You start disconnecting from your wife. You stop growing emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually with your wife, and you don't see it. You don't see it like uh, uh, Walt was saying: is is when you're, um, you're you're in unfaithfulness, you actually don't see the effect from the causes of the things you're doing, what the ultimate effect will be. And that's exactly what happens. You begin to disconnect from your children. The last people in the world I would ever want to hurt were my kids. But I was beginning to what happens to people that are like me, where lust starts to beginning a growing situation in their lives. They begin to withdraw because it's a shameful thing. You don't want others to know about it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't, you know, you just don't have even situations like this very often where you're just talking about it. And um, you start disconnecting from your kids, you know, and you're off in your, at least I would be off in my, my mind somewhere, and the kid would do something, you know, and I'd say, hey, quit that, knock that off, what are you doing? You know, and you'd set that little arrow right into the poor kid's heart, you know, and he walks away hurt, wounded inside, and like, what did I do? What did I do to dad? And he has no idea that dad was off someplace else. He wasn't there. You know, I, I was there for my kids' soccer games. I was there I was a, as a soccer coach and stuff like that, but I wasn't emotionally there because I was growing farther and farther away um, from them. And uh, uh, it says, you know, in the quote from Jerry White, it said, the impure thoughts are sin too. And that's where it started with me, and that's where it starts with everybody, is it starts in the thoughts. And it just kind of grows and grows, and kind of you rationalize and let them go on and on and on. And just James 1.15, it says, you know, when desire As conceived, it brings forth sin, and then when sin sin is conceived, it brings forth death. It's just a process. It's just a matter of time. It just keeps, as we see in SA, it just keeps growing. It's progressive.
0: Men, any thoughts?
1: James one fifteen.
2: The, a lot of the things that you were talking about apply to so many other areas of sin. I just think it's important to think about that as we go yeah. through
0: this. Yes?
3: One of the things I was wondering about was um, I was uh, married once and, and got divorced and remarried and, and the second time around we went through uh, lessons with the preacher before and were counseled and things like this and you had mentioned that uh, uh, you and your wife uh, both prayed prior to and felt as right. I wonder you know, many, many people come to the Lord after they're already married. And how many people, if they knowing what they know now, would they still marry that same person or be with them? And how do you deal with that? And the person that everybody's married is is that really the person God really wanted them with? I think that's what a lot of people kinda struggle with. They go, Well gosh, you know, now that I know everything, maybe I should have evaluated it better and and it wouldn't be the same. So therefore, you know, they're kinda always looking to see who that right one is. And, I mean, I don't know if there's really an answer to that, but you know, I was thankful my second time around that that we did have a chance to evaluate it more clearly. But I wonder, had I found the Lord in a more stronger way before He divorced, I mean, I'd still be with that first wife. You know, and that's, that's kind of an awful scary thought. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be or what it, that would look like.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just uh, my only thought I have is that the my experience is that the only benefit that we have from our past mistakes is to either A confess and get right with God or B to learn a lesson that'll affect the future. Other than that, any dwelling on it only hurts us and, 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 and creates a problem in terms of going forward and growing from the point that we are. And that's why Ken in the illustration of the race, it's you know, fall down, you make a mistake, it does you have an effect. You skin your knees, you slow down, you get banged up, but you, you get back up, and you, and you keep going. And we'll talk about in this next point some of the, the issues of the consequence.
1: i just like to make a point on that. Um, when I talk to other people about this, lots of people express the thing, you know, like, I'm not sure I'm with the woman. That's really my ideal one and stuff like that. And so they leave that door open in their mind of someone else. And I think it's a lot with, like what Walt said today, it's it's not reason, it's revelation. And I had to come to a place Uh, For myself in these last three years of my sobriety, where I had to come to the place that I really believe that it says, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. I have to believe if I'm where God, I am where I am, this is my lot, this is my circumstances, I am where God has put me, and uh, I have not the right to put it asunder, I'm to really work at it, because it can be... And I've found it to be now, uh, because I've now turned around and and, and thinking on it, it has become greater with my wife now than than I've ever imagined it. I could ever imagine it to be. It's better than it was ever in my ever fantasies. And it's because I never really truly worked on it and let God enter into the marriage. You know, I was always, I left room for reason rather than
0: revelation. Okay, why don't we move on to the second principle. Second principle is that we consider the consequences. We've been hearing a little bit about that this weekend. Uh, Galatians 6-7, we've heard that verse a half a dozen times. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And it's obvious to us that some of the consequences for our actions take place here on earth. But we know that the Bible teaches that that does not mean that they only take place here on earth. And like many sins, this one can be physical or it can be mental. But the implications have a potential of being much greater than other sins. And I'd like to refer you to 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 16. It says, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her, for he says the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And God took the time to make a distinction with this sin. And some would suggest that the eternal consequences are greater for sexual sins than they are for other sins. I don't know where I am on that. I don't know about that. But I do know that the Bible clearly teaches that there are consequences for our actions. And one of the things that that I have done in my life is to try to think through the scenario of me sitting down with my wife and my four kids Because that's the way it would happen we have a close family and we're all committed to one another and there's a real plus to that and if I got into this kind of situation we'd all be together and uh, just to kind of take the time to think through take 15 or 20 minutes and do a play role scenario of sitting down and sharing that situation with your wife and kids and I'll tell you that that, that's a deterrent (laughs) and yet how much more should it deter us from having to sit down and review it with our Heavenly Father. And just the idea of thinking through the consequence. None of us has the luxury of living our lives to ourselves. Others are always affected. And there are many lessons. I was thinking about King David. All of us know probably of of the Old Testament figures as much about King David as, as most of them. And there's many lessons that we can draw from the life of King David, and not the least of which, and the one we like the most, is the fact that at the end of his life, God said that he was a man after his own heart. And we know that it was after a life that involved adultery with Bathsheba, murder of of Bathsheba's husband, and yet, at the end of his life, because the depth of his repentance had been deeper than the depth of his sin God said David is a man after my own heart but I want to point out to you that even though God said that about David there were three at least three specific things that were consequences as a result of David's sin and the first is in 2nd Samuel twelve eighteen, where we find that David and Bathsheba's son died the second 2 Samuel 13, 14 is that David's daughter was raped by one of his other sons. And the third is that David lost the respect of his friends, according to 2 Samuel 20. And these, God said, were a, a consequence of David's actions. And so the comfort is that God has committed himself to forgive and to restore the truly repentant but he has not committed himself to erase the consequences and if just like we want to teach our kids from whatever age we want to say to them, honey before you make that decision let's just think it through a little bit let's go down to what will happen step two three four or five and this is where the thing's going to end up now do you really want to do that and we start doing that maybe at very young ages because it's a very simple concept of not just being impulsive but weighing the consequence and the result being that many times the step doesn't get taken and of all the areas that we deal with this is one where i think that the bible encourages us to consider the consequences proverbs 27:12 says a prudent man sees evil and hides himself the naive proceed and pay the penalty the the uh, first item, or the, the second Samuel thirteen fourteen, is where David's daughter was raped. Yes. Can I
4: just, could I just sure. add one uh, other verse from Proverbs? This is one that uh, sort of puts the
0: fear in my heart of talking about the things you were talking about. And uh, Proverbs chapter 5 uh,
4: has got a great section talking about adultery, but this is chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. It says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He, he who would destroy
0: himself, does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. And you know, when I, you know, anytime when I sort of go through that mental process of thinking through steps and consequences, and I mean that verse for me very succinctly puts yeah. a great fear in my heart. There's definitely a benefit to hiding the word of God in, in our heart, isn't there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that um, Walt had mentioned. <coughs> Is um, when the woman and the man ate the fruit, you know, they said, uh, you know, eating the fruit that they should surely die, and the death wasn't a physical death, it was a spiritual death. What happens, the, the number one consequence as I look back is you begin to have a spiritual death happening when you rationalize lust, even lust in the mind, and allowing it to proceed and to grow there, is you still think you're walking the Christian life, you still think you're doing things right. I was still leading Bible studies, I was still in choir, I was still doing. All the things inside, but I didn't realize I was gradually dying. It took me, you know, until t- I finally gone a number of years that I realized how I had died spiritually, and I didn't seem to have a relationship with God anymore. So that to me was the number one. You know, I, I don't remember exactly how Walt said it, but it was that um, if you want to um, uh, not wasn't be deceived or not know the truth, or whatever, that's exactly what he'll give you.
0: Hmm.
1: Your spiritual. Bl- Uh, is your wife. Um, it says, he read, you know, the two shall become one flesh. If we're trying to reach this goal, one of these goals is actually the joining and coming closer together spiritually with your wife in body, soul, and spirit, that the two of you are greater than each of you are individually. But that stops. The immediately, when that lust begins to separate, that growth stops. And you don't become the couple that you have idealized or hoped inside that you wanted to be. Thirdly, it's your children. East as I mentioned before, and then fourthly, as businessman, uh, I was considered by many in San Diego to be a very successful stockbroker. Um, I was very high up in the production levels of our companies. I managed two of the top ten uh, firms um, in San Diego. But I finally got to the point where lust was growing in like a monster inside of me. I could care less about what was going on at work. I could care less what was happening. You know, all I was thinking about is skirts. Uh, all I was thinking about was, you know, and I couldn't get myself to stop. I knew I was destroying myself, but I, it was powerful. It was out of control. I'd crossed that line. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really could care less. I could, I, the market closes, the stock market closes at 1 o'clock in, in San Diego. I was out that door looking for some place where I'd get my lust hits for that day. I mean, you know, so I left that in 89, and I thought I'd start my own business, and I had a steel fabricating company, long story. But anyway, I had in a, a neighboring town, and at the time I had around 15 employees, and we were doing pretty decent. By the time I hit bottom, uh, I was the only person left. i let everyone go. Sales had gone, everything had just gone. Everything I'd put in the money, you know money, I lost, I lost the money. And I was just you know, I'd close that big fold-up door, I'd just close it down, sit in the darkness of the, of the, of the plant there on a chair and just cry and just cry because I know I just destroyed my life I was just destroying it and I didn't know you know know where I was going to go I didn't know how I was going to get out of it and um, that was my consequences And then, uh, I'm thankful God led me you know it led me out you
0: guys have any thoughts? Let me just say that uh, this is the first time Chris has shared any of this publicly and uh, it obviously takes a lot of courage to do that. And I think that I know I've learned a lot from him already. So feel free to ask questions or make any comments that you you feel are appropriate. Okay, let's move to the, the third principle is that we need to develop convictions. Develop convictions. Romans 14.22 says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You just meditate on that verse for a while. And we, we know that I guess we already got the vote on this, so I can, I can erase this. We know that the commands of Scripture are given for our good, right? That every single biblical absolute, every command that God's put in the Bible, He's done it for a reason, and He's done it for our good. And so, we kind of picture our life, here's our purpose, And let's say that our purpose is to be a finisher for God, like we've been talking about. So God comes along and he says, I'm going to give you some boundaries. These boundaries are the absolutes. I don't want you to cross those. You got the freedom to function in this area. But I don't want you to cross those. If you do, it will not be in your best interest. The consequences that will not serve you well. And certainly, and may even prohibit you from ultimately accomplishing the goal. And he lets it go with that. And if we choose to live our life right out here, what does God say? He says it's okay, doesn't he? But he gives us some verses like these that tell us that although it may be permissible, it's not necessarily good for us. And so we have verses like Romans 14 where God comes along and he says, if you're wise, you'll draw another line. And it's it's the line of convictions. And... When we go through the process before God, and and, and not in a light manner, but, but really in a serious manner, and develop a conviction before God, then for us that becomes like an absolute. Not for somebody else, but for us. And so now, this becomes the line. And you know what this becomes? That becomes my hedge. That becomes my buffer that becomes the cushion that I build into my life not only in this area but in many many areas and we need that cushion to protect us from not crossing those outward boundaries and one person may have to come along and they may have to draw that line right here on a particular issue and maybe for Tom he looks at that issue and he says I don't even need a, a conviction line on that. It's just not a problem for me. So we vary. As Chris pointed out, I know some people that uh, they literally cannot go into a bar and sit there for an hour and eat lunch. They just That environment has it, been a problem for them in the past. It, it, it's encouraged them in the wrong direction, and so they've got to draw the line very tight on that. For somebody else, being in those type of environments is not a problem at all. So that's where we need to know ourselves, but we need to develop those convictions to help give us the buffer zone. Somebody once said, if you don't want to fall, then don't walk where it's slippery. And for some of us, this is the slippery zone. And so we need to draw that line of convictions as far back as we need to come to get on dry ground. And it's going to be a different place for each one of us. But I would suggest that on this subject, all of us need to draw it someplace. That none of us should be living out here on the edge, although it may be biblically permissible. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And the problem is that although some things may not be wrong in and of themselves, they may cause us to simply crave more, and we may inch our way out to crossing that outward line. Yes?
4: Um, Help us just a moment here with the idea of convictions and then where does legalism fit in all of that? Uh, uh, If you go beyond God's absolutes, then uh, what, what does legalism look like? What is it?
0: Legalism, to me, is when I elevate my convictions to the level of of an absolute and impose them on the rest of the body of Christ. When I start saying, because I have chosen not to do X, I'm going to now judge your spirituality by whether or not you do X. And when I impose on the rest of the body a standard that is higher than God's, then that's legalism. And... I've essentially taken, as, the, as it's described with the Pharisees, which were the, the leaders of the legalism, when they took the traditions of men, as Jesus stated it, elevated them to the level of a command and imposed them on everybody else and judged their spirituality by how they conducted themselves in, in those traditions. Yes?
1: Where does James uh, 4.17 finish? Been-
0: You're right. See, that, that might as well be an absolute for you. If, if, in fact, you've really developed it before God, and that's why I say we don't, do, we don't develop those convictions lightly, and because they're convictions, it is permissible for us to change them. If five years down the road, you know, we're all growing. This is a process. We're not staying the same, and one indication of our growth and of our, of our changing process is that our convictions will change now, that doesn't mean they get tossed around like the wind, and every month, you know, this month I'm this way. But as, through the process of life, we will rethink certain issues as God has been teaching us certain things, and we'll, we'll modify. But as we, as we establish those convictions, you're right, they become a James 4.17. That's what they are. Yeah. Yes?
3: One of the things that I struggle with, with some of the things that have been said in, uh, throughout this whole weekend... Um, you say if you don't want to fall, um, you know, don't walk quite slippery. Three times now I've gone back to the same type of work. It seems like I keep getting pulled back into that. And some would say, well, I think it's because, Ron, it's a good opportunity for you to witness and all that. But in the work I do, and it wouldn't seem like it's that. It's not like I work down into the prostitution section or anything like that. But uh, basically marketing for a title insurance company. And Thursday on our way up here, I actually had to go to Vail for a ski bus first. And that was part of my job. And on the way back, there's drunken women all over the place, and they're running around in long johns, and and uh, it was just a really strange scene. It was such a contrast coming from there and then walking in here, and uh, you know, it's just really different. And so, on one hand, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm, I must be being put here because it's an opportunity to, for me to run into hundreds of people every week. And on the other hand, you know, this is certainly an area that that I could show some weakness in. Um, as far as you know, my ability to fall there. And so the wise part of me would say, run and flee. But then there's the other message, well, maybe I'm being there for a reason. You know, I keep struggling with that, like maybe I should just quit and yeah, <laughs> go I, somewhere
0: safer. I, I can't tell you what you should do on that, but I, I can suggest to you that, that, first of all, the absolutes of Scripture and those areas where we feel that God wants us to develop convictions should take precedent over the thought of this is where God has, has placed me. That, that that should be subordinate to the absolutes and even the, the convictions that we have before God.
2: Can you, <clears throat> can you give some examples for you of, of things that may be okay biblically, but they're not beneficial? Do you have some specific things? that?
0: Um, I don't travel with my secretary. That may seem like an obvious one that we shouldn't do, but I know a lot of men that do. Uh, It's biblically permissible. Uh, I I just wouldn't put myself in that situation. That'd be one example. We could probably share different examples on those, but that at least help you with with what I was meaning by that.
4: Uh, Yes, sir. You know, I think a lot of us we hear a lot about legalism, especially in this group and so on. And I guess what bothers me more than, than legalism almost is where people, when I try to not be a legalist, for example, other people come and they say, well, your absolutes are in the wrong place. You know, homosexuality could be an example. So you're, you've drawn the line there. You're the legalist. You know, this is the 90s and that was cultural thing and this is a new age. And and I mean it's sort of opposite of legalism. Yeah. Where it also makes us out as legalists and I mean so we can't get the agreement on the absolutes anymore. We should
0: be able to though.
4: Exactly. But if if, if, if you take some of I had a pastor who said, Well, Paul is a male chauvinist pig, I don't really place yeah. any credence on what he wrote. You can't reason with a person like that. Call you whatever you want to Yeah. Well, that's what we have to do. I guess yeah. that's part yeah. of our persecution or something because yeah. there are people out there that will tell you well I can get the Bible on my word processor and change change a hundred words and it fits <laughs> the 90s a whole lot better
0: yeah yeah
4: and then all of us are legalists Chris yeah
2: Well, I feel personally. Being a single male in today's society is uh, growingly more difficult. Um, I feel personally that I, in society's views, probably rather conservative on my actions and on my thoughts. But then I have a problem where sometimes I look at biblically, I feel that I'm very radical. And it's just so hard to try to uh, find those convictions, find those lines, and uh, the society I mean, the society we're in is just it's getting harder and harder to be, be out there. Yeah.
0: Um, and I think that's where the issue of not only convictions but accountability, which is our last point, and we'll get into some of that, can really help us. but you're right, it, it is double. Tough, and no two ways about it.
2: I mean, in some ways, you feel that you see somebody walk by and say, "Yeah, she's good looking," and and in some per in some people's definitions, that could be a lustful thought, or you say she has nice legs. But uh, in reality, I I mean, there's times when I'm looking at, and it's not any. There's no intent in my mind. But I think just accept the appreciation of a, of a person
1: I would say everything in this society right now pushes towards you know um, the lust of all of our flesh in almost every area and this in this area is a big area and, and sa we have that was the three-second look you know you're gonna be someplace and someone's gonna walk by and you're gonna go Wow then that was it you know now walk away sort of thing don't take that with you into your mind. Don't let that whirl around and become thoughts and fantasies and what if this and what if I was there with her or then, you know, whatever, you know. Stop it right there. And then that's one of the buffer zones we basically you develop in the program or a program however you would set it up.
2: Because there's a, every person in society today tries to dress to look good. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. What their opinion of looking good or, or whatever we all do things to make ourselves look look better, right? Does that mean that we're going to try to promote uh, lustful uh, lustful thoughts, uh, lustful ideas? Are we contributing to to problems in the in the society by doing that? Uh, well, I think
1: I think there's nothing wrong with dressing yourself up to be as you know good as you think you know you should dress. But I think you have to. Everyone has to have uh, you know their own convictions. Well, no, I don't like that thought. Let me back up a second. Modesty. It's the idea of modesty. You know, I can wear nice-fitting, loose-fitting, comfortable slacks, or I can wear clothes that are suggestive to some people. I have to be wise enough to realize the difference and then take other people's, you know, thought and my own, you know, um, um, spirituality and, con, you know, in uh, consideration there. What... um uh, you had mentioned what other people will think what other people think one of the things you have to do is stop worrying about what other people think and and it has to be like with uh well again was saying today it's it's revelation if god says that i'm not supposed to even think about committing adultery whether in my mind or excuse me if i'm doing that in my mind i'm already committing adultery if his revelation says that well then that's that i mean that's that's that, and anything beyond that, I have to deal with the consequences of that, because there will be some type of a consequence from that, regardless of what, you know, uh, Dr. Ruth says. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, and but for me, this area now is a life and death issue almost. I think of it as a life and death issue. I, th- I take it a lot more serious, probably than 99% of other people do. And um, in the program. Uh, you know, you have a sponsor, just like someone discipling you. And you open up to this person. You've got to have someone you can talk to and say, this is exactly what goes on in my life. This is where I have my problems. This is what causes my problems. When I'm in this situation, this is what happens to me. And he works with you to try to find out, we call them your triggers. What are your triggers? What are the things that bother you personally? Like uh, an obvious one, for example, because lust is one of my problems. If I went to a barber that had... Playboy magazines, with all of his other magazines, easy buffers, I just go to another barber, I just don't go back to that guy anymore. So there's kind of obvious sort of things. Things that aren't quite as obvious, you have to work on more, is one of my problems was anxiety. I hear I'm a businessman. I was a salesman, a stockbroker. you got all this action up down, losing money, making money, wanting to put deals together. Uh, you know, commissions start again every month, you know. And you get all this stuff. I started over time, just started projecting more and more into the future. I was living, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if? And from that comes anxiety. And uh, what I would do, I was getting so anxiety-ridden, I was using lust as a medication to make me feel better that was now became one of my my purposes is I had to in the last three years I I've had to work very very hard for about a year and a half on dealing with anxiety taking no anxious thought for tomorrow because the troubles of today are sufficient I've had to stop really catching myself of being whenever I'm anxious I already know I'm projecting into the future my wife and I work on this all together you know now because we really have communication in that and that and I can say, you know, I'm feeling anxiety. And she says, well, where are you? You're only supposed to be here today. You know, today, where where are you right now? What are you doing right now? Bringing me back into the, the now. And that was one thing I had to work on. And I had to work on really, really hard. Be anxious for nothing. And uh, that was one of my areas. Everyone probably has different things that um, begin to trigger them. When I get anxious, I get susceptible. Now... When Skip uh, and another friend uh, suggested maybe I come and share on this trip you know, three days before or whatever, um, uh, I began to feel anxious. Because I've only talked about this in front of other SA people, which all, they all sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, I know exactly what you're talking about. I felt very comfortable and accepted. I didn't know exactly how everything would kind of go and I felt anxiety. Well, before, how I would deal with anxiety is I would go and get lust hits to kind of make myself feel better. I, I would even, you know, surf through the television looking for Baywatch or for um, uh, hard copy or anything that would give me something, you know, a hit. You know, or um, another example is we used to get uh, you know, cable television and we would have the Playboy channel scrambled, but you could still see things and hear things, you know. So my buffers, I, had a, I just canceled cable and we have an antenna. You know doing things. And um, uh, uh, I just was going there and I lost my, thought, my train of thought. Uh, oh, anxiety. So I was feeling the anxiety of uh, coming here and that and, and how I would deal with it. But now I have a circle of people around me that know exactly who I am, and they don't reject me. They still love me, even they know that I am was have in within me the chan- you know, the possibilities of being a pervert perverting that which is God has made. And and these guys still love me and accept me, and I can call them up and say, I'm feeling this. This is happening to me today. And they go, oh, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, here's how I handle that. Here's how this handles that. And just the talking about it with somebody else takes away the power of it. And you walk away from it, and you feel at peace. And that's what... Uh, Uh, the convictions had, is finding out, at least I had to find out really what were my areas, what were my triggers, and then make buffers around them to protect myself from those areas. Because if I let anxiety go wild, it's just a matter of time I'm going to start looking for triggers or or lust hits just to make, you know, medicate myself. That's what we call shining the light. And when you shine the light, uh, the sin just runs like a
4: cockroach.
0: We uh, got the signal about three minutes ago that we have five minutes, and we've, one thing we've learned with these is that this is an hour-and-a-half to two-hour workshop that we're doing in one hour. So uh, let's move to this so, just so we get all the points out, and then we'll be glad to hang around and, and you guys want to talk any further. But the, the fourth principle would be that we maintain accountability. The convictions that we establish are not going to profit us near as much if we try to do it on our own. Ephesians 4, 9, and 10 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. We are foolish if we think we can go through life isolated and as an island. And the assumption is that all of us fall into the category of desiring to obey God, wanting to be finishers, wanting to do God's will. But even when we have all those desires, we know that at times we're going to fall. And to have the convictions and to have the accountability to help us move through the process, and basically, it's, it's it, you know what it is? It's another hedging of our bet. It's another... Uh, It's another insurance policy. And what could be more important than being able to finish our life whenever, and like we said, we don't know when that finish line is going to pop up in front of us. It might pop up in a week, in a day, 20, 30 more years. But whenever it does, we want to be finishers for God. And anything we can do to help us in that process is a wise thing to do. And, And the Word encourages us to do that and so just uh, just kind of end with that thought if anybody's got a couple maybe take a couple comments and, and then uh, Chris will you got a couple things you want to share on the accountability and then we'll wrap it up yes I did, thank you Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 just one thing uh, real quick
1: uh, accountability of James 5:16. if you confess your, your sins one to another and pray that you might be healed it's in 12-step, you know, in this type of thing, it's real, really important to not keep it inside and just let the stuff go on for year after year after year after year because it develops and grows like a canker. You know, it, it's, you need people that you can talk to and saying, you know, I still want to believe that you'll accept me, you'll still love me, and you'll still care for me, but i got to tell you what's going on in my head. You have to got to get it out in the light as you were saying it And when it gets out into the light and you're amazed at how many people still love you afterwards um, it takes the power away from it but if you leave it in your mind and let it grow and just try to deal with it in your by yourself it'll eventually bite you somewhere. so god bless you
0: let me just say too that there there, there are different forms of accountability different layers of accountability and i know that I, if, if for my grandson or granddaughter at two years old to be in the same room with me is a degree of accountability in terms of how I'll conduct myself. My kids, without knowing it, are a, a level of accountability in my life. My wife is a, an accountability in my life. Other Christians are an accountability. But ultimately, as we move through the layers of accountability, if we, can, if we can ultimately have a close-knit band of men that we really can be open with. Because let's face it, there's certain things... Would, that would be uh, inappropriate for us to share with our wives or with our kids because it would, not have, it would not be with their best interest at heart. It could damage them. And so we ultimately need that group of guys, two, three, four guys, whatever, that we really can bear our souls to and that are committed to us with our best interest at heart and them having no hidden agenda other than to help us finish the race in a fashion that would bring honor to God. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the encouragement of this time. Thank you for the men here. And Lord, you know each one of us. We really want to be finishers for you. And we're not sure what that's going to look like. And we're not sure what is in store for us in the process of going through that. But Lord, each step of the way, one day at a time, we want to walk with you in obedience to your word. Pray that you would help us to do that that we would turn to you, that we would would, uh, surrender ourselves to your leadership in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.